Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers. And most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. One, two, three... Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of striving for eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Well, welcome to The Rap Report. I am your host, Andrew Rappaport, here for another episode to join with here by my crusty sidekick... Trusty sidekick, Bud, the wiser. Oh, my goodness. You call me crusty, though. Did I? Well, that would work, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I said trusty. You know, I, I aspire to trusty, but crusty's probably good. Yeah, I, I should, you know, you? I forget what, someone had pointed out on one of the previous episodes, oh, what was it that I had said? I think it was Chris Honhold. Someone someone had, I, I, I said something and uh, said a completely different word, but it sounded similar, and... uh and I was like, no, I mean, almost like, you know, I don't know if you've seen this thing with Biden where, where uh, Dan Bongino made a joke that, and when you l- listen to it, it, it sounds like Biden walks up to a reporter and says, I've wiped my butt. And, and it does. It literally sounds like that's what he said. And I was trying to read his lips to see what he was actually saying. And I just couldn't see the angle. But Dan Bongino made a joke of it. And he goes, watch, watch. The the fact checkers are going to fact check this and say that's not what he said. The irony was is that he was right. They did fact check it. They did say that that's not what he said. But the the... It was the interesting part of the article was the fact checkers couldn't figure out what he did say. <laughs> what he did say. That's so sad. We are so judged. Oh, yeah, it's elder abuse. Clearly, elder abuse. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, I, I think that's better than what we're, we we have to start off with here. Oh, oh, but what do you, you know, folks? You don't understand. Let me let me, let me give you a, a little background onto the, how this show starts. So so Bud and I will discuss things throughout the week, what we're going to talk about sometimes weeks ahead of time. We'll, we start preparing and we research. And then when we record, we record on Saturday mornings. And when we record, I will get a list of things from Bud. And these are things that just, 
how else can I say this? It hurts. It, it, it makes your head hurt. I don't even know if I want to put this in the show notes, bud. But so this is what I get this morning just before recording. Hey, check this out, right? Your personalized Bible. That, that's what he sends me. Your personalized Bible. <clears throat> now, folks, if you have a Bible handy, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. You're going to need a Bible, by the way, for this episode. So if you have a Bible handy, if you wouldn't mind getting it out, and uh, reading along with me. Um, well, actually, but I think since you you put my name in here, maybe it'd be better if you read some of these. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's do this. You read. You you read the, the the ones you sent me on this your personalized Bible, and 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 then we'll you know I'll I could read what it, the New American Standard says for these to see how close it is, but. You know, this is a, a Bible you can actually purchase, but don't. Um, and and it, it is interesting. Let me, let me, you know, when you go to the About Us, here's what it says about this. This is just so scary. But our vision is to help others gather a deeper understanding of God's promises to them personally and a deeper understanding of the depth of God's love for each of us because he is a personal God. There is nothing more personal or in, enduring, or endearing, sorry, text is too small, endearing than being called by your name and a transformation taken place as you read God's word personalized with your name. Your Bible is printed using state-of-the-art equipment at satellite offices set up in the homes of homeschooling moms. The personalized manuscript is then sent to a commercial binder that specializes in Bibles. The result is a beautiful personalized Bible that you and your loved one can enjoy for years. So it's personalized, bud. Now, now this is the thing, you know, the, earlier this week I had someone call up uh, to ask a question. They were kind of confused because they've, been always, they've always been told that everything is about having a personal relationship with God. And they were confused because they listened to a lot of Ray Comfort, and Ray doesn't talk about having a personal relationship. He talks about repentance, and this yeah. person wanted to understand why. And I said, because the Bible doesn't talk about a personal relationship. In fact, all, all of Israel talks about a national relationship. So it, it talks about us needing repentance. It talks about us being in a, a state of being an enemy of God and then being adopted by God. So yeah, there is a personal element to it that we can call him Abba Father. But people have gone so overboard with it what I had said to this person is you end up seeing that people end up focusing on the me. This is about me and my relationship with God, not my need for God. <laughs> not the yeah. fact that I'm a wicked sinner in need of God. That, that's been what's, what's been so prevalent in Christianity, and, and it really comes from a gospel track that we're going to bring up later, is where a lot of this came from, and which which we're going to talk about. You don't get your theology from a gospel tract. You get your theology from the Bible, and it's much better that way. You know, don't get it from novels either. Left Behind series is not a good uh, theology book. <laughs> Bud and I can both agree on that, even though we have, we have differing views of end times, right? But you look at this, and you look at this, your personalized Bible, and this is the epitome 
of this idea of having a personal relationship with God that, that we're going to replace Scripture with your name. So why don't why don't you read Psalm forty three, which you sent me? Psalm forty three. Yes, this is uh, this isn't hermeneutics. It isn't his hermeneutics. This is <laughs> you hermeneutics. It's you hermeneutics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, Psalm 43, your personalized Bible. Vindicate, Andrew, O God, and plead Andrew's cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver Andrew from the deceitful and unjust, for you are the God of Andrew's strength. Why do you cast Andrew off? Why does Andrew go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead Andrew. Let them bring Andrew to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then Andrew will go to the altar of God, the God of Andrew's exceeding joy. And on the and on the harp, Andrew will praise you, O God, Andrew's God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for Andrew shall yet praise you, the help of my countenance and my God. Yeah. Psalm forty. Three now, really isogeated. The, the the thing with that is, out of the three you sent me, that's actually the best one. Oh yeah, that would be. That, 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 uh, that's the closest to scripture. I mean, it, it's really kind of sad. But let's. This is so bad. This is painful. Please go to the next one to First Chronicles, folks. If you have your Bible, turn to First Chronicles. This is one you're going to want to read along. First First Chronicles. Four, nine, and ten. If you okay. could, if you could, please read this in in this wonderful personalized. And and by the way, folks, we we did try to figure out what translation is this, and you know we we couldn't figure it out. Uh, it says, according to the uh, at least a picture we see, it says it is built or based off of the modern. English was it modern world English yeah. the, the world English I'm, I'm not familiar with the world English translation I actually don't even have it in Lagos uh, the world English Bible trans translation I don't know anything about that um, if if you folks do you can email me at info at striving fraternity and tell me anything about that translation I, I'm just not familiar with it so that right there gives a concern but we even looked it up, and some of these aren't even from there. But let's start with this one, um, <clears throat> Bud. I, 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 I yeah. cringe, but go ahead. Yeah, this, in in the is, uh, your personalized Bible, First Chronicles four nine and ten. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Now Andrew was more honorable than Andrew's brothers and sisters. And Andrew's mother loved Andrew, saying, because the pain in which I bore Andrew was worth every minute. And Andrew called on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my influence, that your hand would be with me, your servant Andrew, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted Andrew the request. So in Hebrew is Jabez... Andrew? Is that how it's yeah, this is this is what many call the prayer of Jabez. Um, with, with the actual text, I'm sorry, I'm laughing so hard at this. The the, te- the New American Standard says Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother named uh, his mother named him Jabez, saying, "Because I bore him with pain." Um, let me just stop there. You know what the name Jabez means? 
to be born with pain. And, you know, mother loved you saying, because the pain in which I bore you. <laughs> Just. Oh, so, so this is like completely. So Jabez, which is a text of scripture dealing with a person named Jabez. This is probably because of that book, The Prayer of Jabez, that they rewrote this one to, to write you in. But the, 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 the worst offender of the three you sent me. Oh, oh, bud, we have to do this, and it's painful. Could you please read in this wonderful translation, Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14? Yeah, I can. And just realize now, we didn't understand that there are all these multiple levels of interpretation that are possible with especially this uh, scripture. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. Thus says the Lord God, after you have been disciplined and purged, Andrew, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you and cause you to return to my side. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, Andrew, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Then, Andrew, you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And Andrew You will seek me and find me. When you search for me, Andrew, with all your heart, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your discipline. I will gather you from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place where you belong, Andrew. Um, I don't even know what to do with this. This is the one where he said, what translation is this based out of? Because we couldn't figure it out because Jeremiah 29.10 makes us explicitly clear that this is not dealing with us. This is one of the passages we'll look at later, but it says, Jeremiah 29.10, for thus says the Lord, and you know, in, in this translation, it says, thus says the Lord God. So that's, that's pretty close. But where this one says, after you have been disciplined and purged, Andrew, What the actual text says, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon. (laughs) When were you in Babylon last? Yeah. I didn't know you'd been. I went through every translation that I have here in in Lagos, and I can't find a single one that even comes close to the... We even looked the message. I mean, you figure the message, that would be the most liberal, right? That even the message says... This is God's word on the subject as soon as Babylon's 70 years are up and not a day before. So even the message (laughs) doesn't come close. This is so... That's not an endorsement, by the way, just so I can insert that. Yeah, well, who does endorse it? Let's look at some of the endorsements. You have a a Brian Houston. I'm talking about the message. You're not endorsing the... Message well, Bible, I'm saying. No, 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 no. Message Bible would be, it, it, I'm saying it's it's about, you know, what we, we went to the message because we thought what would be the worst translation that they could have yeah, used. Yeah. I got you. I was just clarifying but, for the sake of. But this, your personalized Bible, let's look at who does endorse it. We have, we have Brian Houston, a senior pastor at Hillsong Church. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. So that's a problem. Oh, who's the second one they have on there? Uh, George Pearson's. Senior pastor of Eagle Mountain International Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Well, if you don't know who that is, that is Kenneth Copeland. So there you go there. Oh, but we have a woman. And I first thought maybe it'd be a woman pastor. No, it's a woman author. What did she write? Sex Traps. Well, there's a book I just from the title I think I don't want. <laughs> so th- this is who endorses this. I mean, I'm sorry if this has been painful for you. Um <laughs> This is this is what counts for Christianity these days. P. 
people think that this is something that is worthy of being called Christian, that this is going to help people in their spiritual growth. This should give a, a true Christian a headache, and I'm sorry for giving you the headache, but I'm just passing along to you what Bud, thankfully, passed along to me this morning. <laughs> Yeah, and really, I mean, the point is not to mock. This is just an abomination, I mean, completely. But there are people out there who think that they are Christians who don't understand that this is completely egregious. This is not at all sound doctrine. This is not even sound reading of Scripture. So uh, we're not mocking them. This is completely wrong. Um, When we look at the message, okay, why do we say it's not a good translation? It's a very... It's one man's paraphrase. So when you have a person that is translating the Bible, remember he's translating it for his young children. He's trying to make it as easy as possible for children to read. That's why it's an easy to read third grade level. But the thing is, is it's one man's interpretation. And so you have to look at it that way. So if you look at the message translation as more commentary, I'm okay with it, you viewing it that way. Don't don't think of it as God's word, but as a commentary. It's it's one man's paraphrase, one man's explanation to his children. Um, what we just read is far worse. It, it's it's completely changing the meaning of the Bible. It's it's taking an actual person, Jabez, and fitting you in there as if that's for you. Putting something in for the those who lived through the Babylonian captivity and putting it in for you now. They do that because verse 11, and we're going to look at that, but why in the world don't, I'd love to know, but maybe you could look this up while we're reading. What do they do with Jeremiah 29, you know, 17 and 18? I mean, maybe, maybe they read it this way. Maybe they read it this way. I'll, I'll read your name in. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am sending upon you, bud, the sword and famine and pestilence, and I will make you split open like, or, or sorry, I will make buds split open like figs that cannot be eaten due to rottenness. I will pursue bud with the sword and famine and with pestilence. I will make bud a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a horror, a hissing, a reproach among all the nations that I have driven bud. Do you think they, that they did that? Something tells me that's not the way they translated that. No, and apparently the little demo doesn't let you put in which text you want. They, they've got some pre-assigned text that they're... But how about this from Isaiah 53, uh, verse 4? No, oh no, no. Don't tell me that they're going to replace Christ with people's... Surely, no, no. Surely he has borne Andrew's sickness oh, man. and carried his suffering. But he was pierced for Andrew's transgressions. He was crushed for Andrew's iniquities to punishment that brought Andrew peace was on him. So they've got selected ones that they go through, and apparently 7,000 places in Scripture you can have your name uh, inserted. See, it's just painful. This is painful. And and folks, why, why would we bring this up? Because what we want to do is go through other passages that are actually just as painful when you start to know what they mean in context. Basic hermeneutics, and hermeneutics is the, the art and science of interpretation. It's how we understand things. When you hear me saying something to you, you're practicing hermeneutics. You are interpreting what I am saying and understanding the meaning because there's certain rules to hermeneutics. And the, the most important rule is not to take out of context. 
None of you like to be taken out of context. Guess what? God doesn't like to be taken out of context either. In fact, John Calvin said, and I'm going to obviously paraphrase this because, you know, he said it in a different language and I'm going to say it in English. But he basically said that if you take God's word out of context, you no longer have God's word, but man's word. And that's the reality is when people are going to twist God's word, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, you no longer have God's word. You have your own. And the thing is, is you and I need to be honest and recognize we need to have God's word. We need to let him speak. He's, it, the Bible is God's self-revelation. If we do not allow it to be that, then then it is not going to communicate to us everything we need for faith and practice. So let's look at some key passages that many people get incorrect. And the reason we want to do this is so that you will learn to start studying the Bible in context. You will learn some of the passages that you've often thought aren't the way you meant them or the way you thought them. We're going to discover that those passages, even pastors will use passages, and you're going to discover today it doesn't mean what you think it means. That's going to be the theme today. So the first one is going to seem strange, and the reason it's going to seem strange is because I am a big proponent of gospel tracts, and you know that, bud. I was just out last night, went down to South Philly and handed out gospel tracts and sharing the gospel, but there is sometimes where gospel tracts are a problem. I mentioned it earlier. There is a gospel tract that a lot of people get this idea that God wants us to have a personal relationship with Him. In fact, the way that the Four Spiritual Laws gospel track is written. <clears throat> if you if you've read it, you you know. Uh, in fact, the author of that track, who I happen to to know personally, calls it the Four Spiritual Flaws. Now, <laughs> really, yeah, because what was written in there is not good theology. But in there, it talks about the fact that God created us because He has a need. He He needs a, a personal relationship with us. So, stopping with that. God doesn't need anything. God did not need to create us for any kind of lack that he has. He had fellowship within the triune deity. They have three separate persons. They have fellowship. And so what you end up seeing is God did not need us. God chose to create us. But that gospel track would say that. But one of the other things that it does is what is very commonly known is Revelation 3.20. And what it talks about is, from this passage, you see it talking about God standing on the door of knocking on the heart of man and asking to be welcomed in. And if you just open the door and welcome him in, you can be saved. And so many people use this as, as God knocking on the door of your heart. And a lot of this is where many people get the idea that you, you see more of an Arminian uh, or, or semi-Pelagian view of things where it's, God is just trying. I mean, he's he's knocking. Hello, will you let him in? You know, he, he wants to come in, but no one's, no one's opening the door. You know, he's trying really hard, but just no one's there. No one's, no one's giving him a chance, you know? And so this passage is one that's used to argue that God is knocking on the door of your heart. Well, let's look at what the passage says. This is, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, so far it sounds exactly like the track says, right? I stand at the door and knock. That's 
if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So what everybody, people take this and say, well, see, this is salvation. Okay, who's he writing this to? Well, verse 14 tells us, to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Oh, oh, wait, bud. Mm. This, this is written to a church. Yeah. Not That's unbelievers. Yeah. This, this, is, this is written to those who are believers. In fact, in fact, it's amazing that people do this. Just go one verse earlier. We're going to see this a lot, bud. One, just one mm. verse earlier. Verse 19. Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. So, so those whom he loves... He's, he's, oh, so these are believers already. So this isn't knocking on the door of your heart so that you would be saved. It's knocking on the door of a believer's heart that you would repent of, of things that you need discipline for. Yeah. Your sin, your repenting of sin. It's not salvific at all. This is not a soteriological passage. Yeah. So this isn't us coming to salvation. It's, it's, this is the last of seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, where he's commending some of them and condemning some of them, and others, he has a little bit of a mixture. And, and so what you end up seeing here is that this is a case that you have him saying, you want to be, you want your candlestick removed, you want to have that name that you're a church of in, in the name of God removed, or do you, do you want to welcome God into the church. It's not talking about people coming to Christ. And and so many people use this and have no idea that it comes from a gospel tract, not from the scripture. And people use it unknowingly. And so yeah. looking at the context, we immediately see this is written to believers. So this is dealing with sanctification, not regeneration. The tract actually says that, though, and, that, and that's part of the deception. It's very common in evangelicalism at large, this notion of, of relationship with Christ, relationship with Jesus. But the track says, quote, we receive Christ through personal invitation. And then it cites that Revelation 3, verse 20. Not at all. Un, un, you couldn't be farther from salvific truth than to put it in that context. Christ owns that door. If he wants in that door, he's going to blow it off the hinges, and you will repent and believe. It's not about you inviting him to do anything. He is master, lord, king, sovereign. Are you saying we don't need God's permission? Or or that God doesn't need our permission, I should say? Yeah. I mean, that God needs our permission to do things? I mean... but, Bud, the, the, why is this a problem? Well, this is a problem because what you end up seeing is so much of our culture, Christian culture, gets their theology from things like this gospel tract. And because yeah. it's repeated so often, this is why so, there are many, many people that because they, they got saved through this gospel tract, they look at this and start to believe the gospel tract over the scriptures. And so they talk about their experience. And when we look at how we got saved, experientially, I chose God. Theologically, God chose me. Right. But when when we focus everything in our Christian life on experience, which is what that Bible, your personalized Bible we mentioned earlier, that's what it's all about. God's promises for you. 
That's what they want. That what's why they're writing this. So yeah. you, you're the center of it all. Well, when when Christianity makes you the center of it all, it loses focus that God is the center of it all. And now you're off on a bad tangent. And when people do that, they're going to focus more on their experience over the theology. And that's why there's such a struggle for some people when it comes to discussing issues of, say, Calvinism and Arminianism. Many people struggle. Why? Because they know what they experienced. They know what the gospel track says. They know what so many people say, and they look at a passage like this and say, well, God's inviting me. He needs my permission. Uh, Folks, God created the universe with a word. Do you really think he needs your permission to do anything? He is the Lord. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He does whatever he wants, and he, he will always do and is capable of doing anything he wants with because it's going to be by his nature. So God can't do certain things. God can't lie because that's outside of his nature. That's what makes that a sin. So you look at a passage like this, Romans, uh, Revelation 3.20, and the way so many people use it, it's completely out of context, but they give it a totally different meaning. Now, we've dealt with this before, but it's a key thing that we have to address the difference between regeneration and sanctification, okay? Because when we talk salvation, that's a general term. I'm teaching in my church, I'm teaching through Peter, First Peter, and we had someone that commented, and they're basically saying how First Peter contradicts other books like, you know, from Paul or James. There's no contradiction. In fact, what most of the passages he's struggling with is he doesn't understand the difference between salvation— past, present, future, because he's he's disagreeing with passages in First Peter that talk about glorification, which is future, mm-hmm. but it's it, the word is salvation. With the term salvation is a general term that can refer to three separate things, regeneration, sanctification, glorification. Those are past, present, future. Regeneration is that point in time when we went from being an enemy of God to a child of God. It's when we're converted. But once that happens, the next part of salvation is our sanctification. That process from regeneration until the moment we die, that's the process we're made more in the image of Christ. That is where works, yes, works do come in. In our sanctification process, not our regeneration process, and almost every cult, every works-based system confuses those two for that purpose so that they can add human effort into regeneration. There's no human effort in regeneration. There is human effort in sanctification. And the moment we die, glorification. There's when our we, we completely change. There's no more sin indwelling within us, and we are glorified. That's sanctification. Or sorry, that's, that's salvation future. So, regeneration leads to sanctification, leads to glorification. Three separate ideas of salvation. And what you see here is people confusing regeneration with sanctification, just like the cults do when they want to try to make it works-based salvation. What this does is confuse people's theology. And this is why so many people start to to say, but I choose God. I invited him into my life. You only did that because... God worked in your life. In fact, if you look at Philippians 1.29, it says here, for it has been granted for Christ's sake, has been granted for you, so in the personalized one, I would say, for 
to Andrew, it has been granted, <laughs> but f- for to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. So our belief has been granted. The word for granted there is the idea of being forgiven. We've been forgiven. It's been given to forgiven us. So that th- this salvation that we have when it comes to regeneration, it's been granted to us. To believe that comes from God, and so, but the struggle is that people have this experience, and because so much of current Christianity is focused on experience, that's the struggle. I mean, just think about most songs. I get, I have an opportunity. Many don't. I travel to many different churches to to speak at churches, and when I go to churches, I hear the songs that they sing in many churches, even good, solid churches, and yet most of the songs they sing, bud. They're all about me. I mean, it's just like that personalized Bible. So much of the song is about experience. What, and even when it is about what God did, it's about what God did for me. Yeah. And they, they even unbeknownst to many, end up teaching, you know, when you have Hillsong and Jesus Culture and Bethel Music, they end up teaching heresy that people don't realize. When, when they start teaching that, Jesus on the cross had no other thought than you. That's not true. His thought was of the Father and what he was doing as a payment for sin. It's not about you. It's about God. The focus yeah. completely changes. Now, where does that come from? Genesis chapter 3. What did, what did the serpent say to Eve? It's all about you, girl. It's yeah. all about you. No, we're not going to sing that song. <laughs> it's not about me. right? But isn't that, isn't that what the serpent said? Oh, God is trying to keep something from you. It's about you, not God. Well, that is, unfortunately, the same line that the current church is being taught. And it it gets it right from the, when people get saved, right from this gospel track out of Revelation 3.20. And it's everywhere. I mean, I, I, you know, I know, I watch these things and I just grieve over uh, pastors. I've seen one, he'll get up there to baptize someone and... You know, this is Southern Baptist Church, and, you know, they don't believe in infant baptism. They just practice it. So you'll see these little kids up there, and his question is going to be, every time, invariably, um, have you invited Jesus into your heart? Okay, yeah. Well, you know, and if it's a six-year-old, well, why don't you ask them if they invited Santa Claus into their heart? Same kind of thing. But the fact is, this is prevalent everywhere. So we understand salvation is monergistic. God alone acts sanctification is synergistic. We're commanded uh, to work our salvation out with fear and trembling. Um, So we are active in that. But it it is interesting, and people need to understand this, even even Spurgeon, quoting um, Whitman, or Whitfield, George Whitfield, uh, said that we're all born-again Arminians because of this issue of experience. It seems like we did something, but it's actually all of God. So what happens is that the Holy Spirit indwelling you as you begin studying Scripture and being discipled in Scripture, being taught the Word, you come to understand it, all the glory is God's, all the power is God's, all the salvation is God's. Jesus saves. I didn't do anything. In fact, I don't deserve it because it is grace. So if you're at the point in your Christian life and you think that you're bound by a decision that you've made, you you need to be discipled. You need to be in the Word and studying it with sound teachers and sound preaching uh, so that you mature in the faith. And otherwise you're going to be tossed about. I mean, this is what scripture tells us. So. 
this is the reason this is so important, is your theology can be all messed up if you start taking things out of context and just basing it off what you've always heard rather than what the Scripture actually says. Let's look at the next passage, one we looked at earlier, and that's Jeremiah 29.11. This is replaced John 3.16 as the most quoted, most favored verse for many and people know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. They have it on their refrigerators and their backpacks and their f- mats on entering their house. And for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And and people hold this as a promise, just like that. I can't even say it's a Bible that you <laughs> you sent. Um, but that personalized translation where they have to totally mess this up. Why? Because they want to make this a promise for you. It's all about you. And yet, as we looked at this already, verse 10 tells us who this is meant for. It's meant for those who live through the 70-year Babylonian captivity. Now, no one holds verses 17 and 18 that I read earlier as a promise for them. I mean, who, who reads it that way, that the Lord has got a, you know, sending a sword to us and famine and pestilence? You know, that the Lord is going to pursue us with a sword and famine and pestilence. Like, no one wants that as a promise. But yet that's in the same context. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can even back up further and expand your context a little bit more. Go to verse 1 of the entire chapter where it says, Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. See, now that's... This This is, is a historical narrative. And, and and that right there is the purpose of this, though, right? Because all we have to do is, from Jeremiah 29, 11, back up one verse. Again, back up just one verse, and we the context makes it clear this was not for us. It was for those who went through the Babylonian captivity. And what you see in verse 1, the, there's what's the purpose of this? Why would Jeremiah write this? Well, he's writing this as he's, he's saying, hey, God gave judgment We're going into 70 years of captivity. The nation of Israel is going to be captive 70 years, okay? But guess what? When you come out the other side, so he's writing this to those who are going into that captivity that are being taken exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's who he's writing it for. And he's saying when these 70 years are up, God knows the plan he has for you. So the the thing that people have to realize is he he's saying he will be faithful to those who live through the 70-year captivity, that when they come out the other side, he has plans for welfare, and he's got a future hope for them. But he's also going to drive them with things like a sword and famine and pestilence as well. Mm-hmm. That's also a promise that he has for those who live through that. And so the thing that we learn from that is the same thing they learned from that. God is faithful. Picture going through the 70-year captivity. Think of being born during that 70-year captivity and just hearing the stories of what it was like. I mean, Bud, you know, just think about it. In 20, 30, 50 years from now, we'll be talking to people saying, well, you know what it was like before COVID when we didn't have to wear masks everywhere and stay in our homes because the government wanted control over us? And talk about, you know, the, you know, triple Delta variant, because by then it'll probably be that, you know, (laughs) maybe maybe quadruple octoctal. The reality is is that these people that were born in the captivity are going to hear the stories of the past. 
being in Jerusalem. They don't know what it's like. They never experienced it. Those who did experience it are going to be going, when, O oh Lord, when do we go home? You're going, you're going home in 70 years. There's a timetable here. But there's going to be those that would question God. There's those today who question his second coming because it's been 2,000 years. And they go, is he really going to come? And so some just say, no, he's like, we're not going to have a millennium. It's just, you know, (laughs) some will say I'm millennial. Some will say post-millennial. Those that won't be faithful to scripture will say. I'm thinking ahead of you right now. So carry on, get through this. (laughs) But the reality is, is that what you end up seeing is that people who live through this, we're going to need to know that God is faithful, that he, he, that these 70 years, God is, this wasn't something that caught God off guard. And so he's saying that after 70 years, this is what he's going to do. That is a promise, but not to you and I. It's a promise to those who live through that. However, the lesson that they have, that God is faithful, also applies for us. That is something we could take with us. And so this is a passage so many people take as a personal promise, and if you just go back one verse, this passage isn't for you. Yeah, and it's interesting, and you brought it up earlier. If you want to discuss the notion of Scripture contradicting Scripture, if that's what you understand this Scripture to mean, it's a personal promise to you, for your prosperity, for your health, for your for your uh, uh, blessing. If that's how you take this, then when you go back over to Philippians, which you read earlier, uh, where it says that, you know, it was granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe, but wait, what else? Also to suffer for his sake? How are you going to put those two things together? Something's wrong. There is a contradiction there. Well, the contradiction is not biblical. The contradiction is your theology's wrong. You've misinterpreted a verse. That's why you can't make those two things fit together. And that's why so many people right now are struggling in America with American Christians because they have this notion of God's going to give me everything I want and everything's the way I want it to be. He's going to give me comfort. And he's going to give me welfare and all this stuff. And all of a sudden we're seeing a government that's turning against Christians. And they're going, wait a minute, what's going on here? God has this promise. The promise wasn't few. There, people are starting to question God's word rather than their theology, yeah. and that's the problem um, with this. The promise is not for you. The prom- this promise is not for America. Yeah. Sorry, it, it doesn't have application. The application is God is faithful. That's the principle. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that we end up seeing in the next passage, this is one of these ones where two verses right next to each other, two completely different meanings that people use for them, out of context. And so let, let's look at Matthew 18. If you have your Bibles <clears throat> open to Matthew 18, let's first look at verse 19 and see how many use this. And and I should say, I should have said this at the outset, one of the reasons the problems people have with this, I'll say this while you're turning to Matthew 18, the, the reason people have a problem with this is because of the fact that we look at verse numbers and we read a verse of Scripture and it was never meant to be read that way. In fact, many of you may not realize that the chapter breaks and verses weren't added for 700, 800 years. And so for many years, you didn't have that. Why were they added? It is easier for me to say, turn to Psalm 22 and give you a verse number. It's easier for me to number it Psalm 22 and give you a specific verse number rather than the way they would have done it, which is to say, my Lord, my Lord, uh, you know, my Lord, my Lord, how have thou forsaken me? Which is what Christ said on the cross. 
Why did he say that? He was referring to the very first line of Psalm 22 because that's how you would refer to Psalm 22. And this is why you'd have someone say, well, as David says, where did David say it? It's hard to know. You're going to read everything David said? You got to go find that. Well, the reason that they put chapter breaks in verses is to make it easier for us to find things. They're not inspired. And the problem with verse breaks is that people read just a verse out of its context. And that's what we don't want you to do. We want you to learn to read in context. Because when you read in context, you get totally different meanings sometimes. Let's take a look. Matthew 18, now that you're there. Verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now, when I do my Bible study, uh, my, my seminar, my weekend seminar, Bible Interpretation Made Easy, uh, one of the things that I end up talking about there is the fact that I had a friend in college who wanted a new car, or a used car. He didn't care, actually. Uh, his parents, he asked his parents if they'd co-sign a loan for him, and they wouldn't. He asked me if I would go along with him to look at a car. And when I got there, he then said he wanted me to co-sign the loan for him. I'm like, well, why don't you ask your parents? He's like, I did. And they said, no. Now, first off, I'm Jewish. I'm not giving away money. Like, you know, like, let's be honest about this. the wrong guy yeah. for help. Yeah, you don't pick a Jewish person to co-sign a loan. Unless there's, you know, you're going to give me an interest rate far above what, <laughs> what their interest rate is, right? Oh, uh, usury is forbidden, brother. You can't be doing that. <laughs> so... What you end up seeing is, I'm like, your parents aren't going to co-sign. I'm not going to co-sign. So I think his ploy was to get me there. And, you know, like I didn't realize I was there to help co-sign alone. So the next day he tells me he's getting a brand new car, brand new. Like what changed? Your parents changed their mind? He goes, oh, no, I got another Christian brother to pray with me. And we asked for a new car. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, Matthew, Matthew 18, 19 says that if two of you agree on earth about anything that we, that we may ask, God's going to give it to us. Now, is that what this is talking about, right? I mean, that seems, if I just read that, it looks like what it's talking about. But then you get to verse 20, the very next verse. This is used for every small Bible study. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is the most used passage for Wednesday night Bible studies when there's a few yes. people, right? I mean, if you were to, to go, bud, to Matthew, maybe, maybe you should turn here, Matthew 28 and 19 and 20, verse 20 specifically, but this is the Great Commission. Now, bud, let me ask you, and, and, and folks listening, this is a question I'll, uh, for you as well. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Um, so according to this passage, bud, do we need two or three for God to be present in the Bible study? I mean, does this say that how many Christians are necessary for God to be present according to this passage? This is so bad. <laughs> right? People want to this say the so answer is one, right? Because yeah, lo, I well, am with you always. Who are the you there? Yeah, but now here's here's the thing. Here, here's the thing that we do with this, because people will say one, and it's a trick question, isn't it? It is. 
It's a trick question because, yes, you're, you're pointing out the you is plural, but here's the thing more importantly. God's omni- omnipresent. If there's no Christian there, God is present. God is present everywhere. The reason he is with you always is because he's everywhere always. <laughs> right? So when we look at theology, we realize the way some people interpret that's not the way it should be interpreted. So what yeah, does... This, uh, well, I was just going to insert, I, you know, this is not really driven by our desire for experience. Really what you're doing here is injecting mysticism into, you know, this text, Matthew 18. Uh, I mean, you're making it some sort of mystical thing that we get together and suddenly, wow, here's the presence of Christ with us. Yeah. Wow, that's absurd. Or, or it's a reassurance that, hey... It, we have Wednesday night Bible study. There's only three or four of us here or two or three of us here. And, but God is with us. God's with you when you're alone in prayer. Guess what? God's, God's everywhere. So he, when, when there's no one in your home, God is there. I mean, he's everywhere. So what does this deal with? Well, let's read the context. Let's start in verse 15 and see what both of these passages are referring to. If your brother sins, go and show him your, uh, his fault. In private, that's a key word, <laughs> right? It doesn't say go to your friends, go get, go tell your best friend, hey, this is what someone did to me. No, <clears throat> if your brother sins against you, go to him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every act, every fact may be confirmed. What is that? That's going back to the Old Testament. This is a legal thing, that you have to have two or three witnesses to witness, in this case, the unrepentance. So that's who the two or three are. The two or three are the witnesses to unrepentance. If he refuses to listen to them, who's the them? The two or three witnesses. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector. So if, if you have these two, you, you, have a, a, you go to a brother, there's a sin issue, they're unrepentant, you bring one or two others so that there are two or three witnesses to the unrepentance. In other words, it's not we disagree on the facts, it's there's, there, there's the acknowledgement, yes, there is a sin here, and this person's unrepentant of it. And it's a sin, not, you know, I don't like the way you dress, you know? Uh, there, it's, it's, it's not like, yeah, that, that t-shirt, bud, you know, <laughs> bud's it's looking the at us, bro. Come yeah. On. It's the five solos. So it's gotta be good. No, right. It's, you know, people, people make things a sin. That's a, a personal preference. I don't like the music you listen to. It, it actually has to be a sin. Uh, and it says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth has been loosed in heaven. What's that referring to? It's referring to the person you're putting out of the church. This is someone who they ignored the one-on-one confrontation. They ignored the two or three confrontation. They ignored the entire church confrontation. So what do you do? If they've ignored the entire church coming to them, calling them to repentance, you have to assume they're not a believer. So you treat them like an, a Gentile or tax collector, like they're not a believer. You put them out of the church. That's not easy to do. So there has to be some, so what, what you have here is Matthew giving some, or really Jesus, because he's saying, giving some encouragement that when you have to go that far, just know that what you're doing on earth by doing this, it's already been done in heaven. Yeah. And that's why he says, again, I say to you, again, what? The again refers to verse 18, what he just said, what's bound in heaven is bound in, on earth. 
We, it's loosed in earth. It's loosed in heaven. It, God's already done this. It didn't. This, when you have to put someone out of the church, it did not take God by surprise. He's omnipotent. He's yeah. omniscient. He's omnipot- uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere present. So he knew what was going on. He knows everything. So he already knew this would happen before the foundation of the earth. And by the way, he's all powerful. He's capable of stopping it if he so desired. But he didn't. He let this happen. And it's not easy to do it. So what is he saying? Again, I say to you, if two or three, what are the two? Sorry, sorry, if two of you agree, what are the two? The two witnesses. If you agree, then God's going to give it to you. Why? What are you asking for in this context? You're asking to put them out of the church. You're going to be asking for some comfort on your own for having to do this. God's going to give that to you. It's it's, it's, It's already been done in heaven, right? That's why it could be done on earth to be them put out. Verse 20 now, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. What is that? That is an encouragement to those two or three witnesses that had to stand before the church and say, yes, we are witnesses to this person's sin, to the point that they have to be put out. They need that encouragement. Why? Because they didn't want to have to do that. Nobody likes doing that. And so this is the difficulty. And so when you look at this, this is a hard thing to do. And so this becomes one that they need that encouragement. So this is not, you ask anything, you get, you know, Bud and I ask for something, God's obligated to give it to us. No, this is the way Word of Faith will try to argue it so that they can say, hey, God is obligated to you. Notice a trend that we see throughout all these passages. The focus changes from God to person, from God to you. What's the problem? What is it we repent of when we come to Christ? We repent of our, our pride, our selfishness, and we turn to Christ. But what is it that so many Christians are doing? They repented of that in regeneration, and then they're trying to pull it back to themselves. This is the problem. I mean, the command of Christ, deny yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Why? Because he's the center. He's the focus. He is exalted. I mean, the Lord is exalted. He is high and lifted up. It's all about God's glory. It's not about you. We're the creature. We're commanded to repent and believe, not invite, not get some other guy here so we can get our wishes granted because there's two of us. Um, But in this context, I mean, you know, to the defense of the pop Christian church, most people sitting in those pews, they have no idea what church discipline is. So at least they're pulling this verse out, right? They're trying to be because <laughs> that's about all they could use out of that that section of scripture uh but, wow. you, but the focus becomes again on me and this is on you we, yeah. we we continue as christians in our sanctification to be struggling to deny ourselves why do we have to have be commanded to deny ourselves because we keep trying to exalt ourselves yeah. and that's what had the way each of these passages that we've looked at this is what ends up happening with this it becomes all about self and and so you know, this is just a couple of passages. We, we'll probably do an episode in the future. We have some more that we couldn't get to in, in time. I, I should mention, Bud, that you were talking about the fact, you made a comment about Southern Baptists that Southern Baptists don't practice infant baptism. They, they But they don't. They don't, they don't believe it. They, they don't believe it, it. They but they don't really practice it, though. They practice child baptism because they, they don't do it yeah. to infants. But, you know, a, a really good book on that subject is written by a friend of ours, Justin Peters. It's called Do Not Hinder Them. And it deals with 
childhood baptism and conversion. And one of the, the good thing about that book, I mean, even though it's geared toward the, addressing the issue of the Southern Baptists baptizing young children and, and saying they're not old enough to really understand the issues of salvation and you know, so you know, you're you're giving a false assurance to many because many of them trust that. Well, I've been baptized, so I'm saved, and now they're not looking for salvation because they have a false conviction. Yeah, and they think they're converted, but it's a false conversion. So that's why he wrote it. But the really neat thing about that book is it talks about what conversion actually is. It's a really good detailed explanation of conversion. And that's yeah. why I think that book is is so excellent, is even if you're not struggling with the child baptism, it's still a good book on conversion. So I do want to recommend that. And so I, I think, Bud, we're not going to be able to get to all the passages we had. We've gotten to some. Really? Yeah, we're already an hour in. So... There's only like 7,000 that this happens with, apparently. Yeah, there's there's probably, as, if, if we use that, that Bible, a personalized Bible that you sent those things for this morning, uh, there's, what, 7,000 uh, personalized promises. Well, those would be 7,000 out of context, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, please don't buy that Bible, please. <laughs> Besides that, would you say the price was like over a hundred dollars or something? It was one hundred and forty bucks, I think. But yeah, you know, no show links, please don't put yeah. that in there. Yeah, the, they're put not Justin's book in there. Put a link to that. I'll put, I'll put a link to Justin's book. So uh, we'll, we'll maybe we'll continue this next week. If something else doesn't pop up, we'll see. But uh, folks, um, we we hope that this encouraged you that for you to consider reading within the context. It's it important a good time to read when you go to bed. How did you sleep last night, by the way? You look all fresh and everything. I am. You know, I, I, I was planning something. You see, you're trying to pop it on me. I was going to say, that's a wrap, and then do this. Are you tired of pillows that go flat or every couple of years you they smell bad and what are you going to do with them? You can't wash them because that ruins the pillow. They don't stay in that same shape. Well, my pillow is the answer. Get a my pillow. These are premium pillows that never go flat. You can wash them as many times as you want and best of all, they're made right here in the USA. Go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listeners and use promo code SFE. That stands for Striving for Eternity. Or you can call 1-800-873-0176. That's 800-873-0176. And use promo code SFE. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. So you thought that we were missing that commercial and you were going to sneak it in at the end, huh? I just didn't know if you forgot. You thought I forgot. I did not forget the commercial. You're the pro. I just figured I was going to do something different today, you know? But, but well, you, you can't fool me. I'm too ignorant. <laughs> but hey, hey, we got it in. And Bud, you love that musical in there? That 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 was, yes. Yeah, that's that's that was your choice in the music. I put that in on purpose just I like that. Just for you, bud, because it's all about you, not about me. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.